What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined once again by my dude, Brandon DeCruz. Brandon, it's been a couple weeks, actually. I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever. What's going on, my man? Man, I, I was about to say the same thing, man. Um, all is well on my end. I actually, I, I do feel like we have more to catch up on on our ends as uh, this is probably the first time in a few weeks or actually not even a few weeks, a few months that we haven't had our weekly Friday calls uh, since you were on vacation last week. So you were you were out of the state. But um, in the last two weeks, I believe it's been two weeks since we uh, we initially had our last call and had our last podcast. I had taken a vacation. I didn't get to catch up on that. So I took a vacation at the shore, which uh, I took during the last week of August. So two weeks ago at this point. And um, that was pretty much just, I was trying to get a reset prior to the end of summer. As I'm sure you can relate to this. The fall is always like a super busy period for me, both personally and professionally. Like I have a ton of birthdays. Like today's my cousin's birthday. So tonight I'll be seeing her. Um, My girl's birthday is uh, in November. You know, October comes around and Halloween is actually my favorite holiday, as odd as that is. I know every time I tell someone that they're like really uh, weirded out by that. So, um, you know, Halloween has always been my favorite holiday. So that's something we always have like a Halloween party and and it's a big to do for my my girlfriend and myself. Um, But yeah, man, during the trip, I had a beach shoot, which I was telling you about previous to uh, to us or to me having it. And it was with a longtime photographer that I've been working with for years. So it was really good not only to get to catch up with him, but to get some more work together and then this past week um the previous week today um was labor day so this labor day weekend um i got to celebrate and catch up with my girl's family and actually um this was it's funny i was just recounting this on a call with a client this was actually the first year in about a decade that i've been home and able to celebrate labor day um as labor day weekend is actually like a huge sale weekend within the sports nutrition industry industry so I've always had to travel for work. I've always like, for instance, um, my former uh, roommate, as well as coworker in the company that I worked for previously, he was in Costa Rica this week making sales like during Labor Day weekend Damn. because it's such a big holiday. So we would do international travel or, or domestic travel during Labor Day weekend. So I, I either had to travel during those every single weekend during or every single year during this weekend, or I'd be in the office during those weekend hours to get orders out because so many people, so many accounts you know uh you'll see like blockbuster sales on on bodybuilding.com that was one of my big accounts on iherb so all the websites do do massive sales all the stores do massive sales so i always had to be um available and working for both my accounts and customers so seeing as i've left the industry as of this year it was really nice to just be able to spend sunday with friends and family it was something that you know um i haven't really been able to do in so long that i didn't realize how much i miss like the little things in life and it's it's nice to be, I'm always encouraging my clients to take a step back, you know, both away from the process of fitness, but also from other, you know, stressful situations, whether it's business, professional life, you know, things like that, and just really spend time in the moment and really soak it all in. So I was, I was very happy to be able to do that. And then I'm still in my active fat loss phase and I'm towards the end. So, um, you know, this past weekend during Labor Day weekend, I stayed right on my diet. And this is something I always get questions about, like, what are you doing? Like during holidays? Like, well, the thing is like, I've been doing this for so long, man. I've been fitness modeling for over 10 years. I've, I competed 15 times over the years. So both my family and my girl's family, it, the great thing about them is that they both understand how much of a priority my physique pursuits are. So both right. in terms of my uh, my physique, but also my profession, because this is me being a walking testament to what I preach for my clients. So I'm blessed in the fact that you know they have no problem with me either bringing my own meals or in me making you know or in making me something that's more 
more in line with my macro targets and calorie budget. And I don't know about you, but I feel like you're in a very similar position or a very similar mindset in the fact that we don't see like occasions, especially like smaller holidays that aren't massive holidays, like your Christmases, your New Year's, your Thanksgivings that are really centered around food. Like these smaller holidays, like Labor Day weekend, Mm -hmm. I don't really see them as a social event that needs to be catered around food. So like, I don't allow myself to get bothered or tempted by what others around me are eating or, you know, anything of that type of sort, like many other people do, because you know, we have to realize we all have different goals. And in order to attain my own goals, I have specific habits that I need to consistently engage in, in order to get to where I want to be. And honestly, you know, and this is something I always try to, you know, give back to my clients or a, a piece of um, knowledge or experience that I try to partake in and give back to them is that, you know, when you have a really specific goal and you want you, whether it's a contest prep, whether you know, in the case of us, we're, we just did, we're doing a photo shoot prep now. You know, the progress I've continued to see as a result of staying on point is much more rewarding than any like free meal or treat or any tasty food could provide me with right then and there. You know what I mean? So really when it comes down to it, I'm more than happy to just go to occasions, family holidays, and just really partake in more of the social gathering in terms of just connecting with those that I care about and knowing that I'm still in the moment. I'm not distracted by their food. I'm not bothered by their food. This is an active decision that I've made. So just like they don't you know, have any issue with what I'm eating, I shouldn't have any issue with what they're eating. And right. it, it doesn't impact me. It doesn't affect me. So I always try to, you know, remove myself from the situation, take a couple, you know, steps back and really see things from a more objective perspective. Whereas I know a lot of people, they struggle during these occasions because they're so, um, I guess, so caught up in what other people think or what other people are doing that they forget that we all have our own paths. We all have our own goals and we need to be in line. We need to stay in ethical and and habitual alignment with what best suits our goals and not let what other people are doing derail that or influence the path that we take going forward. Absolutely, man. I think that's such a good insight because it is something that so many people struggle with. And yeah, we're in a pretty similar boat there. I think where for me on like situations like this, like I mean, it's a holiday, but this is the first Labor Day that I haven't worked in a very, very long time as well. So it's, uh, but I think with things like that, like when it comes to food, I know everyone's perception of this is different, but I know for me, like I'm pretty blessed and I'm most decisions, I think I'm able to look at very objectively for where for me, it's always easy to look at, like, especially in situations like that, it's like such a fleeting, like you take a bite of food, it tastes good in your mouth for like a half a second and then it's just gone right where and again i don't everyone can approach this differently and that's perfectly fine but for me personally just like considering like and i really like to discuss the same thing with clients like hey how are you going to feel about this decision 24 hours from now i'm not here to tell you do or don't eat this thing but that's all i want you to consider some situations that may be like man i'm so glad i enjoyed that christmas dinner like for the next couple of years i'm gonna look back and think on like the conversations i had with my family like all the emotional value i took from that and like in that situation and I'm good if this slows my progress a little bit because I'm going to take so much emotional value from it. Dope. Enjoy it. But on the flip side of it, it's like in 24 hours or even in an hour, 30 minutes, I'm really going to wish I hadn't consumed that thing. Then probably don't, right? This is kind of looking at, it's it's basically short-term versus long, short-term it's delayed gratification, right? Where I think Absolutely. if we can just create a little bit more objectivity around that, it's so helpful. But I mean, it sounds like our weekend's 
were relatively similar. Um, how the diet yeah, break tell, that four day? Yeah, diet. tell me about the trip and the diet break, my man. I mean, I've I've heard about it through email, but let's let's catch up in person about it. Yeah, man, it was good. Um, so we were back at, with Katie's family in Nebraska for a family reunion. Went to the Nebraska State Fair um, to meet up with my family, which is Hell definitely yeah. a change of pace um, from being in Scottsdale. But it was it was a good time, dude. And that's my family's very similar to what you're describing to where it is they're just used to it by now. My mom's great about like, she knows like the foods I like to eat. She's good about like making foods that are easier to track. Um, with, with Katie's family, it's definitely interesting because it is quite a bit different. They don't like necessarily pressure me or anything like that. But like her mom sometimes is a little bit like, are you sure you don't want to eat some of this Jeremiah? Like you, you're, you're looking pretty lean. And, but it's like, Oh no, I'm, I'm good. Linda, just the sweetest lady. But like, in yeah, the, you oh. know, she, she, she means no harm by it. Right. You know I mean, she's just like probably one of those mothers that my mother's the same way, but she knows that, you know, she'll, she'll offer and she'll make sure I feel included. But if I say, listen, I'm good. Or I brought my food. She's like, all right, cool. And it, it's not like an issue. Oh yeah, exactly. And that's, I think for most people, if you just explain like what you're trying to do, why it matters everybody's good with it right i don't know like even yo no i'm good i'm just not hungry right now that's typically what i'll go to i just ate a bit ago so i'm good right now um her her brothers kind of give me a hard time for the whole like fitness thing like oh <laughs> your biceps and shit like that but it's it's all it's all in good fun so um no man it was good again had that four-day diet break was feeling good throughout that um we had a couple late flights so it was a little bit tired but still like i know i sent you pictures from saturday i really don't feel like those did it justice either but it was really cool to actually get like some good lighting i actually didn't realize how bad the lighting that i send you my pictures in is until i was in some really good lighting i was like damn i look a lot more shredded than i thought it was so that Absolutely. was cool I got to say, when you sent me over those photos, not only was I excited for you, but it also gave me more of an objective viewpoint because I, I always standardize. So for anyone out there, I standardize the photos that I get from clients. So Jeremiah sends me in the same room, in the same lighting, same time of day, you know, same conditions, fasted after, you know, evacuating his bowels, you know, same thing every single, you know, multiple times per week, uh, especially on his check-in days. And then he also sends me post-workout photos as well. So I could see what his body looks like, both with fluids, some food in him, as well as a pump and, and to see the the effects of what he looks like post-workout. And when you sent me those photos, I was like, you know, and I always do a photo comparison. So I actually pull it up on two different screens. I do a side-by-side side, side side comparison of previous photos as well as current photos. When I looked at it, it was a night and day difference. And, you know, I was pumped for you first and foremost, but it gave me more of an objective viewpoint of how how lean you are, um, as well as how well you've been responding to this. And also, you know, another benefit of diet breaks and refeeds that I don't think many realize unless they're like a competitor or someone that's gotten really lean. So I will say, I want to make a caveat to this, like a lifestyle client or a general population client, they might not realize this, but diet breaks, they have so many benefits. And a lot of times we're only looking for the physiological but we're, we're neglecting the psychological and then also the visual. And I come from physique sports, so I'm really used to dialing in this. And I know this process has been a lot different for you. You're not used to checking in with the coach as much or some of this type of methods that I go through in terms of my analyses. But that also comes from having worked with high-level athletes that are at a more advanced level that we need to do. As we get more advanced, we're going to need to do more things or take more advanced tactics and, and strategies to get to the next level. Because as we progress and as we have done this for longer and longer, it's going to take, I don't want to say more, but it's, I always say at the advanced level, 
attention to detail makes all the difference. And so when it comes down to like a diet break or a refeed, uh, it allows us to drop both like the dietary and systemic fatigue, but then it also allows both the client and the coach to see more of the fruits of of their labor, essentially. So I was able to see more of your physique because by increasing, because what we did with the diet break was predominantly an increase in carbohydrate intake. And since it was over a more extended period where we brought you back up to maintenance calories, we're able to replenish glycogen stores. We were able to fill you back out and really see what your physique looks like filled out. Because what we have to realize is that the physique we see that's flat and first thing in the morning, that is, you know, not always the most accurate indication of what our actual physique looks like walking around. And most people are not going to get up, go to the bathroom, be, you know, essentially fasted and then walk around and go to the beach that way. They're going to have some fluids in them. They're going to go after the gym. They're going to look different throughout the course of the day. And then another benefit that I really like utilizing diet breaks for is it allows us to practice what living at maintenance is like. And it also you know, subjectively lowers the difficulty of the diet, which makes it more sustainable and then easier to adhere to, less stressful, and then also improves training performance, which are all things I'm sure you noticed. And so there's multi-pronged benefits. Like, yeah, it's not reversing metabolic adaptations in four to seven days. However, we're able to see more of where you are. And then I'm also able to see, all right, why increases carbohydrates by this amount? This is how his physique looked within two days of having done that. When we go to PQ for a photo shoot, a lot of times I'll utilize refeeds or diet breaks as practice runs going into a photo shoot prep to really be able to peak that physique. Cause I would never put you into a, a physique shoot depleted. You know what I mean? So it, these are methods that they're not always as as um, visually noticeable with general general population clients. So when I work with my lifestyle clients, diet breaks and refeeds are more for psychological benefit, lower systemic fatigue, lower dietary fatigue, help them adhere. But a lot of times when you get to those lower ends of body fat, that's where it's like most beneficial. That's where you're most metabolically adapted. That's where you're feeling the most dietary fatigue. That is also when you're most flat and depleted. And that's where throwing in, you know, some extra carbs in the system, improving training performance, you know, getting a little boost in energy. That's where it really, we can see the fruits of our labor, which is super beneficial, especially from a motivational standpoint. Like I know that you're, you know, extremely intrinsically motivated as am I, but I'll tell you when I utilize diet breaks of my own, when I'm starting to see my physique fill back out, it's a good good sign that, listen, you know, I haven't lost the tissue that I might have thought I have, or, you know, we all have, we're all our own worst critics, you know, when it comes to our own physique. And that's why coaches need coaches. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. And that, that was super cool to see because uh, I'm not really like uh, the pictures I send to you. It's almost always like I'm rushing to get from my training to like whatever caller, whatever I have coming up. And I'm, I, I don't have mirrors in my garage, so I'm not really in the mirror. <laughs> so that, that was cool to like be in planet fitness and felt felt great there i also felt like the pictures that i sent you didn't really do it justice i the quality kind of decayed when i sent them over but i was really really stoked on what we were seeing there so i'm excited to continue that and as we talked about um we are planning to do a photo shoot when i go to hawaii october 28th so it sounds like we're wanting to do a shoot like right before that which no better time to do a photo shoot than right before i'll be in hawaii i know tristan is also like he's not happy tristan's not happy he told me he was going to pay me on the side to uh to get you fat beforehand but that's not happening we're coming peaks my man but he also said i think he has a photographer set up there he somehow has a connection there so we're going to get a lot of content there as well so there's no better time for us to get a ton of content me to be in hawaii and also be the most dreaded i've ever been in my life so couldn't be more perfect timing but yeah man i'm stoked on how things are going diet break went great i again i don't have like a I I. i I'm glad we took it, but I didn't feel like I like was like, fuck, I need a diet break. So it was very easy for me to like, hey, the foods that I am eating that I didn't prepare myself, I'm going to slightly overestimate these just to make sure I'm still staying in alignment here. And I feel like it went very well. 
Absolutely. And no, even like I explained to you in your check-in, it wasn't being done for the you know physiological reasons. It was more like, let's increase dietary flexibility. Let's make sure you have some buffer room. You're traveling. I don't want you stressing on top of the fact that you have all these flights and you have family engagements and you have other things to worry about. And like, that was, that's a big reason that I utilize diet breaks with clients. It's not always, you know, I take a very auto-regulated um, approach to both nutrition and training. It's based on a client's biofeedback. It's based on where they are in their life. And oftentimes, you know, sometimes I'll explain to you things and I'm like, listen, I'm doing this and we're taking it a little bit slower because you have high life stress or you're really busy at work. And that's the whole thing. Like I really, I always say this, but we cannot separate psychology from physiology. And even if you are the most mentally strong individual, if you have a high, a high like or a high amount of life stress, it's going to impair some of your adaptations, both to training and then also your nutrition. It's going to impact your nutrient partitioning. It's going to impact your blood sugar regulation. And that's something we've seen with yourself over time. And so really what I'm trying to do is we're looking at controlling the levers in which I can pull as a coach. And really that's my, your nutrition, your training and some of your lifestyle stuff. But really it's not like I could tell you, Hey, Jeremiah, your business is blowing up. Like let's just not work today and tomorrow. Cause you're systemically stressed. Like we can't do that. So how do I help you manage your stress? It's by manipulating your nutrition. And this was a perfect opportunity to do so. So I'm glad we did. So, and this is something that I'll sometimes utilize with clients that keep on that want to keep pushing. And I'm like, listen, you have to know there's a time to push and there's a time to pull back. And often you as the client yourself will not be able to tell that because you are not going to be objective with yourself, which is one of the values of having an objective coach in your corner that not only cares, but understands both physiology as well as your psychology. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one one of the, I take a ton from our relationship, but within that, like knowing when to pull back, I think that's one area that helps me a ton where for me with clients, it's very easy to be empathetic and like put myself in their shoes. But with myself, it's like, I'm just being fucking soft. I'm good. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's push. You know what I mean? So it's, I it's, know you do. It's a lot of value. Cool. All right. So for this Q&A, this is going to be kind of around the theme of most common fat loss mistakes. I really like kind of the theme we have going on the last couple of weeks. And I think the listeners will take a ton of value from this. So let's go ahead and get into the first question. I'm going to kick over to you, which is why wouldn't you put a client right into a fat loss phase when starting to work with them? Yeah. So this was actually, um, I've had a bunch of consults this week and I, I continually get this question because I am known for having like a, a, a large depth of knowledge and experience with fat loss physiology. So a lot of people, and I'm sure the same thing can be said to you, people come to you with the goal, Hey, I want to lose body fat. And they're only thinking about that goal then, then and there, what they want in that moment. And I always say coaching is not only about giving a client what they want, but also what they need. And a lot of times they come to me in a position where they're not ready for fat loss, whether it's physically ready, mentally ready, um, health-wise, they're not in a good place. So generally, I won't go right into a, a dieting phase uh, aimed at losing body fat with a client unless it's someone that's an experienced dieter. So for like in our case, Jeremiah, you were someone that I was very familiar with when you came to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to be confident in the fact that we could go into a fat loss phase. You have all your habits in place. You have experienced dieting. I asked you for all of this and, and you could you know, vouch for this. I asked you for all of your previous dieting histories, your coaching experience. I went through all of your documents. So I knew what you were coming to the table with, but you are a rare case and you're honestly the exception to the rule. We have a relationship. We've mentored already. So when a new client comes to me, it's generally not in that situation. Unless you're someone that's worked with me previously, I'm not going to put you into a dieting 
phase because, you know, to me, coaching isn't just about setting macros and throwing someone into a deficit and hoping they respond favorably and actually efficiently lose body fat. Because I've been doing this for 10 years. And oftentimes when I've taken that route early on in my career, I gave the client what they wanted off the bat. You want fat loss? Let's go into a fat loss phase. They just didn't respond. So generally I need to take some time to get to know a client's body and get to know them both physically and mentally before I even feel comfortable putting them into a deficit and having us work on their fat loss goal. And that's really important, both from a physical and mental perspective on both components. So both from the coaching perspective, as well as from the client perspective, because a client comes to me with certain expectations, Mm -hmm. you know, they know my experience or they've heard me on podcasts. So they have an expectation of a result, but also they have to realize that we have to be accountable for our history, our dieting history, our relationship with food, all these other components. And if you're not in a place to succeed, I can't put you, I can't confidently guarantee you the results that you want. So instead of rushing into a fat loss phase, I found much better results by starting most clients off with what I call a primer phase. And and you and I have spoken about this in detail, but really what I'm trying to do is have them spend some time with them eating either at or above maintenance so that I can work on certain things. So I want to look at improving their habits around nutrition, movement, stress management, and and sleep quality as well. Um, I look to dial in their training and see how they respond to training, especially in a state of higher energy availability through the diet. So as I'm increasing, a lot of times people come to me and they want to diet. However, they're they're in a state of low energy availability. So they're, they're chronically under eating during the week and then they're overeating on the weekends, but they're not fueling their training adequately. They're not utilizing proper nutrient timing principles. They're not optimizing their approach to nutrition, both from a, a, you know, a calorie perspective in terms of energy availability, but also from a micronutrient perspective. So they're, you know, they might be at maintenance calories or in a surplus most of the week, but they're at a a nutrient deficit. So they have multiple micronutrient deficiencies, which are leading to downstream ramifications, whether it be hormonal, whether it be metabolic, they have all these issues as a result of that. So At that point, if I was to put them into a deficit and then put them on a training program, I'm not able to really gauge their response to training because we know that training adaptations are impaired in a deficit because when you diet, your rates of muscle protein synthesis decline as well as your rates of muscle protein breakdown increase. So the likelihood, unless you're a newer trainee or you really have every single thing dialed in, your likelihood of gaining muscle during a deficit is much less likely than maintenance or in a surplus. And then also I'm looking to modify their behaviors and work on the bottlenecks that have held them back from achieving their body composition and fat loss goals in the past. So whenever I take an in, intake or a client consult, I'm always asking about what have you done in the past? What has worked and what hasn't? And I'm looking for bottlenecks within either the approach they took or within their lifestyle that has been holding them back from getting the results they want. And that's going to be a key center point. That's in my, my needs analysis. I'm going to be like, all right, this person, very highly stressed, sympathetically dominant, has a high resting heart rate, all these different things. I'm going to work on those aspects aspects first so that I can, you know, improve upon their weaknesses and also bring up their strengths. And then also a big component of this primer phase is an opportunity for me to collect data on how they respond to different nutrition and training approaches and interventions or methods that I use with them. And then once I have a good feel for their body and their psychology, and I've improved their training performance, their dietary habits, um, as well as their health markers, you know, I'm huge with that. So I'm looking at insulin sensitivity. I'm looking at aerobic capacity and then their overall fitness level, along with improving their body composition. Cause a lot of people come to me and they're like, well, is this primary phase? Like I'm going to stay the same that I am. No, I'm improving your nutrition approach. I'm improving your training, your nutrient timing. There's so many aspects you are going to be recomping during that process. But our major focus is on eliminating bottlenecks and putting you in a place to succeed. Then 
And only then do I feel comfortable and confident in entering a fat loss phase. But I think it's vital to not only give our clients what they want, but what they need. And many people need to learn how to spend some time at maintenance or above first. And then they need to learn how to manage all the variables needed to improve their body composition before adding in the stress of a deficit and aiming for fat loss. As you know, my whole goal in, within coaching is to set my clients up for long-term success. And you know, we've had many conversations about this. I don't care about a 12-week transformation. That, you know, that means nothing to me. And it's not that, you know, a lot of times people hear me say that and they're like, well, how can you not care? No, I I care about the client in the moment, but really what I'm looking for is a 12 month transformation. I'm looking for a lifestyle transformation that includes their habits, behaviors, lifestyle, approach to nutrition, relationship with food, not just their body composition, because when we dial in all those habits and behaviors, we can get them long-term success within their body composition and within their physique. So I would rather set them up for success and not just look for quick results that are here today and gone tomorrow because if they don't have the skill set to maintain the results past a 12-week dieting phase or an eight-week dieting phase, that really does nothing for them. It puts them back in that yo-yo loop and that you know merry-go-round where they're on the diet, off the diet. They're losing weight, regaining weight. And, and that's what so many people suffer with. So I want to be the coach that breaks that mold and helps them get past where they've been in the past as well as much further along in the future. I couldn't agree more with all of that, man. And I think it is so, this can be hard to hear, but I think a lot of times as a coach, one of the worst things you can do is just base everything around what the client wants to do in the moment, right? Because most people, like what's got them there currently is like following, hey, so for example, this is like around a training program. A lot of times clients will start and it's like, hey, I really want to build muscle, but I also really like focusing on athleticism. And I also really like doing like hit cardio this many days per week. And it's like, hey, I need you to trust that to get a different result, we are going to have to take different actions than we have previously. And we could apply the same concept to the primer phase. So I need you to trust that I can put together a better program for your goals than you have for yourself. And that is going to look different. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to be a big change at the start. But if you just give some time to this, and again, be willing to do something different in order to achieve a different result, I promise you like six months down the road now, 12 months down the road from now, we'll be in such a different place. But I couldn't agree more with kind of the thought process behind the primer phase. Um, To add to that a little bit more, with us working with a lot of women, we work with very few people whose goal is strictly fat loss. Most of our clients are body comp focused where, hey, I want to build a good amount of muscle tissue. I want to add shape to my frame. It's not just I want to get skinny, for example. So one of the most common things I see within women that we work with is most of the time it's like, hey, if we dieted you down right now and just got you absolutely shredded, even then you still wouldn't have the physique you want because you don't have enough muscle tissue, right? So a lot of times for us, we're actually starting women in a building phase where we're at very least at maintenance or a slight surplus. And a lot of times that is like, hey, it's going to be six, eight months of this. And that that is like at the start a tough pill to swallow. And I think you have to do a good job setting the expectations there right from the start. And I know like on our last... um Roundtable with Jeff, we talked about like not being too married to the planner, but this is a time where I like to like lay out a rough draft of here's what things are going to look like. So I can constantly revisit with the client, hey, we're here right now, but approximately eight months from now, for example, this is going to have set us up for such a successful building or fat loss phase. And then 12 months from now, like we can finally see the changes in your physique you want because we've added more muscle. So a lot of times we're actually like, because I mean, as you mentioned, when we are in a deficit, muscle protein synthesis is going to be reduced. It's going to be harder for us to build tissue. We're going to have less fuel coming in. We're not going to be able to train as hard. Recovery is going to be harder to come by. So within that, 
And again, if we got you shredded right now and you didn't have as much muscle as you wanted, we would still have to enter a building phase. So let's take advantage of this time. Let's feed you more food. Let's add some tissue. And then when we enter a fat loss phase, and we've also spent a long time feeding you up, your body's going to be in a healthy, responsive place. You're going to have more muscle. And then at the end of that process, you can have the physique you want. But that might be eight to 12 months. But the alternative to that is we could keep trying to do what you've been doing where you've been trying to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. And we could keep getting more of the result, right? Like which, which of those really sounds better to you? In the short term, that might be more instantly gratifying. But long-term, you're probably going to have a pretty similar physique to what you have now, six, 12 months down the road from now. So I really like to kind of approach it like that. And that's that's a very, very common path for new clients. But I don't think I have much else to add to that one. No, I couldn't agree more. Actually, just today is Friday, but yesterday, Thursday, 9-8, I made a post on a 55-year-old female client that I have that did a body recomposition. And honestly, she came to me for fat loss and she was dead set that she wanted fat loss. She felt out of shape. Um, She felt like she wasn't able to build muscle and all these things. And I said, listen, we're going to do a primer phase. I explained it to her. She had a friend, luckily, that had coached with me previously. And so there was you know, some validation behind that. And I said, listen, this is really what I'm feeling most comfortable when you are not in the place, especially she travels, she's an account executive for a large company in California. She's constantly traveling. I said, listen, you haven't been sufficiently feeding yourself and you're doing that on again, off again diet. You have inconsistent habits. Your sleep is off. We need to dial in a lot of these habit you know, and lifestyle factors. And I want you to spend time at maintenance and build muscle. So we built tissue and literally within the last seven months, she has lost 4.2 pounds. That is it. However, if you guys look at her physique, it is night and day different. She is more muscular. She's significantly leaner. I mean, full abs, you know, yeah, really lean back. She's 55 years old. And initially when she came to me, it was, you know, I can't do this because I'm postmenopausal. or there was a lot of these excuses, these self-limiting beliefs, but it really takes investing into the process, believing in it pushing past those self-limiting beliefs. And and at the start, I said, I'm going to have to tell you things you don't want to hear. You are not ready to be in a fat loss phase. It is not going to benefit you. And what's going to end up happening, especially at your age, is that you're going to become a smaller, lighter version of yourself, but you're not going to be a better version of yourself. And especially at the fact that you're in that age bracket where you're anabolically resistant. So you are not as sensitive to amino acids or to protein content. Like We really need to focus on dialing in your habits around nutrition, making sure you have adequate protein boluses, multiple times a day to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, to lower muscle protein breakdown that puts you in a deficit. We're only handicapping you even more. And I know that's not what you want to hear. You don't want me to tell you, Hey, we're going to eat more for these next three to four months, but that's literally what your body needs to do. And, you know, at first she was, um, you know, every, most people are very, um, hesitant to make changes, especially when it's doing, it's eating more, doing something that's uncomfortable. What we have to realize is that everything within body composition is an adaptation. We go into the gym, we make ourselves super uncomfortable under heavier loads or more repetitions, pushing to fatigue, pushing to failure, seeing a velocity drop off, seeing the cadence of our reps go down. And that is always embraced. People say, all right, I'm training hard. Like they get a validation from that. But when it comes to dietary or lifestyle changes, a lot of people don't take the same mindset. And what I'd really try to get across to my clients is let's take a progressive overload mindset to everything that we do within the context of training, nutrition, and lifestyle. We want to become progressively better and aim for progression, not perfection, but progression at all these different areas of our life. So within our nutrition, if we have to eat more to facilitate our goal, to fuel our training, to make sure that we're able to build muscle, we're going to progressively increase your intake slowly and steadily. It's not going to be like, just like we wouldn't put, you know, 225 pounds on the bar, you know, this week, and then go to 315 the next week, we're going to progressively increase that load. But the same thing with calorie increases, same thing with, if you came from a very low protein intake, I'm not going to take you and, you know, say that, you know, a woman is 150 pounds. My goal for her is 
is 150 grams of protein. So that one gram per pound of body weight that would be optimized, you know, muscle uh, growth. I'm not going to take her if she's eating 50 grams of protein, put her one, right at 150, but I am going to kind of shoot for the middle. So it's like, let's find a plan that's both easy for you to adhere to, but it's a progression. So maybe we start at 90 grams of protein. You know, and then we work up to 100 and we slowly and steadily increase. Same thing with sleep. I'm not going to take you if you have really bad sleep habits and you're sleeping five and a half hours a night and say, oh, this week I need you to hit eight hours. That's unrealistic from my standpoint and it's overwhelming from a client standpoint, but it's that progressive overload mindset to aim to be better on a daily and monthly or daily, weekly and monthly basis that adds up and compounds over time. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. And just one more time to shout out that transformation. That was insane. I know I commented on that, but she has crushed it so far. That was super cool to see. And it's also cool to hear that the weight difference was that little in that long way period. 4.2 pounds, my man. We never, we really, I, I got her into a deficit by utilizing the high energy flux approach because I kept her food pretty much at maintenance, but just due to the tissue and the redistribution of body fat mass to, um, muscle mass. It just, it, it was insane, but I'm super proud of her because she had to be uncomfortable. She had to eat up for a few months. She had to, we had to work on hormones. We had to work on stress management. We had to look at, you know, other modalities within her lifestyle from, you know, sympathetic dominance to looking at meditation, to looking at, you know, nightly walks and, and different you know, activities that are far outside the scope that most people look at within the context of nutrition coaching. Because when they look at nutrition coaching, they think, oh, this guy's going to give me macros and, you know, right. and, and calories. And and no, it's, this is a whole lifestyle thing. And, you, and you're very well aware of that. But I really do think that coaching goes far beyond uh, effective coaching goes far beyond the X's and O's of nutrition and training. So. Oh, I couldn't agree more, man. And I think coaching, coaching has to entail more than just giving someone macros. Right. And that's, it's, it's interesting too, because we work with a good amount of people who have just previously worked with macro coaches who kind of just churn and burn through clients, right? And oftentimes there's a conversation of like, this is more expensive than my last coach. And straight up though, that's like to really change someone's lifestyle, we have to be communicating a lot. And that's like one thing I appreciate about the way you coach is it's very similar to, I've worked with a lot of people in the past who like incorporate all these high touch points, which is something like I wish that I had from other coaches that have worked with in the past. So it's something that we've incorporated, but it's cool to like see the way that you go about that as well. Um, but yeah, I think also one more note on that, like that's why it's so important to look at more than just the way the scale is changing, looking at body measurements, looking at strength progression, looking at progress pictures, because a lot of people hearing that might think you lost four pounds in seven months, you failed, but she crushed it. Her physique looks completely different. So I think that's so important to keep in, keep in mind. But um, to take it to the next question, what are the most common reasons you see people stall during a fat loss phase? I'm six weeks into a cut and my weight hasn't budged in the last two and a half weeks. So within that, a lot to unpack there. A couple of things that come to my mind, first of all, um, tracking accuracy and consistency is almost always one of the biggest ones. That's always like one of the first things we'd like to revisit. And honestly, I think that's a large part of the value of a primer phase as well is making sure clients before they start fat loss understand how to consistently hit their macro targets, just how to track things accurately if you are tracking macros. Because otherwise, like if we are trying to like, hey, you're used to eating 80 grams of protein and now we have you at 120 grams of protein. But if we take that into a deficit, it's kind of like, hey, you didn't really know how to drive before. So we're starting to try to teach you to drive by like, hey, let's start right away, like pedal to the floor, we're just going to go 80, right? It's so much harder in that. So just education around that, I think is one of the big benefits of a primer phase, tracking accurately and again, consistently is such an important piece of this as well. I think that for that a lot of times, and this, this depends on the individual, but if we're talking about like lean people trying to get leaner, I think a lot of times people don't often understand how 
consistent and how precise you typically have to be. Where an idea I share with clients quite often is like, and again, this is specific to where you're at, right? Where there is, especially if it's like, hey, I have a lot of body fat to lose, we can probably be a little bit looser and maybe like we can still see good progress. But again, for a lean person trying to be get leaner, an idea I share with clients often is it's almost going to feel unfair how hard it's how hard it seems, like how consistent you have to be. Like, really, I have to weigh my peanut butter. Really, I have to do this stuff. But and I unfortunately don't make the rules because I would love to make it easy for everyone. And I think a lot of people want like when they hire a coach just to hear like this is going to make it effortless because I'm hiring a coach and they're going to give me like the hack where there is like, again, if you're trying to get shredded, it's just going to be hard. You are going to have to track consistently. You're going to have to be very precise. And I think even like if you're looking at, I like to just do the math of like, let's say you're hitting your macro targets five out of seven days per week. So that comes out to 71% of the time, right? That's like a C minus where it seems like, Hey, I hit my goals five, five days out of the week. But it's like, if we want an A and A plus result, and we're essentially here putting in C minus effort. People people get kind of sensitive when you say things like this, but I think it's worth putting out there. That's the 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 honesty though, man. That's part right. of coaching. But it's it's worth putting out there where we just have to be precise and we have to be very consistent. So consistency is one of the most important pieces of there. But I also think a lot of it comes with education. Like if you as a coach are just giving client macros and you're not seeing progress and you just keep slashing calories, keep slashing calories. And there's there's other things outside of just calories in calories out of course as a listener of the podcast you very well understand this but so much of the time it is hey this person has just never been educated on how to track things accurately all these little bites licks taste like how that comes into play so so much of it is just the education around this as well um neat is another big one a lot of times when people start coaching they just won't be looking at their daily movement um if you listen to any of brandon's podcast you know a big proponent of getting in a lot of steps but just having a consistent goal that we're hitting there because i mean as we eat less as we diet down our body is going to adapt one of the ways it's going to do that is by us doing less pacing fidgeting blinking and we can't say like yo make sure you blink at least three thousand times today we can establish a step goal to make sure that your daily movement isn't just falling through the cliff like even for me right now the thing i've noticed the last couple of weeks is I have to be much more intentional. This is like the only, I would say really, this is the only thing I've noticed with the diet. It hasn't seemed that hard, but I have noticed the last couple of weeks, I have to be so much more intentional about hitting my step goal. Whereas before it was like, man, I'm cool. I'm at like 14K already. That wasn't too hard. Whereas now it's, it takes much more intention for me to get there. Right. But I mean, our body's naturally going to do that. Um, okay, those are a couple of things that stand out to me right out of the gate. Anything that yeah, comes I to actually, mind for you there? Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually, uh, I want to unpack kind of a little bit more of what you hit on, to be honest with you. Neat, everyone knows me for this, so I'm not going to rant on about that. But I will say that we do see in terms of total daily energy expenditure that when someone loses 10% of weight loss or more, that their neat, the their total daily energy expenditure, the amount that comes from neat can be generally between 85 to 90% of the down regulations we see in their energy expenditure. So for instance, there's research for by Rosenbaum and Leibel that pretty much shows that when people lost 10% of their body weight or more, that they lost about 500 calories from their total daily energy expenditure. And of those 500 calories, 100 came from the resting metabolic rate, but 400 came from their physical activity energy expenditure. And they were in a research lab, meaning that those 400 calories came from their decreases directly from NEAT. So guys, keep that in mind. Look my name up. I have done more podcasts on NEAT energy flux and all of these concepts and probably anyone out there. So uh, I, I won't you know, bore the audience with that, but really I, I do want to come back to the misestimating or underreporting calorie intake. Um, 
part because I really do think that that is probably the biggest component which I see with lifestyle clients. And we just have to realize that many of us don't accurately track our calorie intakes, which is why so many people struggle with losing weight and keeping it off. And the vast majority of people, including myself, like if I wasn't attentive to this, we're inherently bad at estimating how many calories we take in on a daily basis. So often people assume that underreporting is something that only applies to those in the obese or overweight populations. But we have research and I'm glad that, um, you know, you hit on this, uh, Jeremiah, but we do have like actual clinical research that shows that this is common in all dieters, including nutrition professionals like dietitians and in lean individuals. So it's not just something that like it's only those that are overweight and have a lot of weight to lose that they're underreporting or underestimating or misestimating their calories. And most of the research, you know, this is a topic that I've become very passionate about and really dived into because it was something that at first I was like, you know, when I had clients and I, I wasn't sure, like the calorie math wasn't making sense. You know what I mean? And so I'm, you know, manipulating their variables and I'm not seeing the progress and that, that I expected nor they expected. And here was the thing. Neat was the first component that I dialed in. Once I got that in, I was much more successful in getting people their fat loss results. Cause I really, you know, really utilize that really educated clients on that. But the next thing was calorie reporting. And most of the research that I've read on this topic shows that on average people within the general population under report their nutritional intake by about 20 to 50 plus percent. And even dietitians are off by between 20 and 30%. And then we have to take into consideration the fact that the FDA allows for labels to be off legally by 20% or up to 20%. So say that you're tracking every single thing accurately, but you're eating a lot of processed or packaged food items, you may be taking in 20 more percent of calories per day than you see reflected on your, your calorie tracking app. And then we have to take into consideration, like say you're using MyFitnessPal that has a lot of inaccurate data entries because they're not verified. So that could throw it off, say 20% and then get exacerbated by another 10 to 20%. So there's a lot of reasons as to why, um, you know, you could be underreporting or underestimating how much you're taking in. And you may think that you're eating significantly less than you are, but you're actually in a surplus and that's why you're not losing weight. And another aspect that I find hurts a lot of individuals' fat loss progress is eating out at restaurants uh, too often, especially because, you know, this is an issue because restaurants are often off by 30 to 50%. So what they put on the label, generally when we see it like tested in a lab, it's actually underreported by 30 to 50%. But we, even have studies that show that some restaurant meals contain a hundred percent more calories than what's on the label. So if you have a thousand calorie dinner or entree, it could actually contain 2000 calories. So when it comes down to it, if you aren't measuring and tracking everything you eat pretty much to the gram or the ounce, you know, as anal as that might sound, then you are a high likelihood of underreporting your food intake and misjudging your portion sizes, which will result in you thinking that you're eating far less calories than you actually are. And I find this to be most common when clients wait until the end of the day to track their food. I'm sure you can relate to this, Jeremiah. Like We have to consider the fact that almost every single one of us is going to have problems remembering every single calorie containing item that we ate, especially when it comes to like the creams, the sauces, uh, or the bites, you know, the in-between meal snacks, the bites, licks, tastes, which we often take in subconsciously when we're distracted. So we don't even register. And we have research on this that shows that we don't register calories when we eat in a mindless manner. 
dinner. So imagine you're distracted, your kids, you know, you're cleaning up your kid's plate. This always happens with parents. You know, I had this conversation with all my parents. Hey, do you happen to like, do you happen to clean up your kid's plate? And they don't even think about it. And they're like, yes, I have like three chicken nuggets every night. Like I never think about it. So, or for instance, a big thing is like utilizing tablespoons for peanut butter and not realizing that like two tablespoons, you know, when you really measure it out, like if you were to put it on a scale is often like four. So it's like these little things that they add up throughout the course of the day. And it's not that I want someone to be anal about this. I just want them to be consistent in the manner in which they track and in which they eat. So if you're sig- if you're consistent, it doesn't mean you have to be you know, perfect. You just have to be consistent. So then we can track those variables over time. See how your body, your body composition, your body weight responds to those consistent inputs from a nutritional perspective. And then we can modify those based on what you're doing and make the proper adjustments to the plan. Another huge issue that I see with clients, and I had this conversation quite frequently, is overestimating the calories burned per day. And people almost always believe that they burn a lot more calories through exercise than they actually do. And this is also compounded by the fact that like activity trackers and devices are incredibly inaccurate and incorrect in their calorie burn estimations. And we also have to think about the fact that you're in a dieting phase. So you are suffering from down regulations in your total daily energy expenditure, which none of these machines that I've seen. And I've looked at every single device that you could think of from your highest end. I mean, I have an aura ring. I've had the Apple watch. I've had the whoop band. None of them account for down regulations via metabolic adaptation. So when we see meat declines, we see your BMR go down. We see your exercise activity thermogenesis and your thermic effect of feeding get lowered and down regulated through um, you know, the calorie deficit. None of these can account for that. And Then on top of that, we see that in most of the research that people wildly overestimate. So I know there was a study by Wilbon et al. that showed that um, normal weight individuals overestimated their energy expenditure through exercise by about three to four times. So meaning like say they thought, you know, they actually burned 250 calories in a workout. They actually thought that they burned 750 to a thousand calories. And then in that particular study, they actually ate back a lot of those calories. So it wasn't a dietary study. It was just a exercise intervention study. But, you know, there's so many, you know, areas in which we could be throwing off our fat loss progress or fat loss attempts because of inaccuracies, either in tracking in terms of our calorie intake or our calorie expenditure. And then there was also a recent study, actually, I think we covered this on one of our podcasts together, was that they found on average that activity trackers, even the highest models of your Fitbit or your most popular models, rather, your Fitbit, your Apple Watch, and things of that sort, um, had errors in the estimation of energy expenditure that ranged from 27 to 94 per, 93 or 94%. So here's the thing with this. You know, we have these compounding issues, so we can't separate these out because the issue is, isn't that most just underestimate one or the other when it comes to the calories they eat or the calories they burn, they usually misestimate both. So there's my favorite study on this is one by Lickman and colleagues, and they looked at people who claim to be diet resistant and they were eating 1200 calories per day. And they said that they could not lose weight on this. And when researchers took them actually in a metabolic ward and tested everything about them from their BMR to their hormones, to their energy intake and their energy expenditure, they found that they underreported their calorie intake by an average of 47% per day, which came out to over a thousand calories. And then on top of that, they overestimated their physical activity energy expenditure by 51%, which was another like 250 or more calories. So in total, they were actually taking in per day 2,500 calories, but saying that they were eating 1,200. And here's the thing with that. It wasn't like they were just outside of the lab and saying those were the numbers they were eating. They were told, listen, you need to track your intake on a tracker and we're going to monitor you. 
we're going to know exactly how much you ate or not. And these people were, I don't want to say in denial. It's not like we're bad people because we overestimate or underestimate or whatever it may be. It's just that we're inherently bad at these things. And that's why we have technology. That's why we have all these data. And so we really have to take that in consideration because these are huge differences in calorie expenditure and calorie intake that could put anyone into a maintenance calories that could derail anyone's fat loss goals. And then the last, the last component that I really see to be an issue is, is just general lack of adherence to the diet. And we know this, you know, as people get leaner, it gets harder to stick to a diet. You have high dietary fatigue. And on top of that, many people have difficulty adhering to a diet and seem to neglect the fact that they need to be consistent day in and day out to see results. And it's really that consistency over everything. You don't need to be perfect. You could be 90% on your diet, but if you're 90% seven days per week, it's going to yield much better results than being hundred percent Monday through Friday, and then 50% Saturday and Sunday. I mean, just like you said, Jeremiah, if someone only tracks five to seven days out of the week, that's 71%. So if you expect to lose a pound a week, you can really undo 30% or more of that by just not tracking. Usually it's more because they're going into, you know, they're, they're restricting themselves during the week and then they're, you know, so they're ambitious. They're, they're on their shit during the week, but then they, you know, overeat on the weekends, which completely negates their deficit. And they go into these binge restrict cycles, which either blow their deficit or, you know, put them at maintenance or oftentimes it puts them in a surplus. And then they get frustrated because mentally, psychologically, they're in a deficit, but physiologically, their body's not registering that deficit. So they're not seeing any weight loss or fat loss. Which is like the worst place to be. I like to call that diet purgatory. No, yeah, that's no man's land. You feel like you're dieting all the time, but you're not actually getting any of the progress from it. And that's, I would say the same thing for like weighing and measuring your foods, right? Where so many people are, it's already, you're already doing 80% of the work, right? You're already plugging your food into my fitness pal. That last, like what'll feel like 10 to 20% of the work of like actually weighing and measuring these things accurately is going to yield exponentially quicker results, right? So if you're already here, no matter what dieting is kind of going to suck for most people, like why not just get as much out of it as we can? But I think these are super important conversations to have, dude, because there's so much like marketing out there that's like, use my method and this will make dieting super easy for you. You don't have to give up pizza and wine. And again, like we can probably work those things in within moderation. I'm not saying we have to avoid those things entirely, but you probably will have to track it accurately if you're again, a lean Ooh. person trying to get leaner. And I think that's just so important because I think like a lot of the industry just creates this false expectation that... If you just find the perfect system, fat loss is just going to be super easy for you. There's not going to be any element of restriction or anything like that. And that's just not the case for 99% of people. It's not the case for 100% of people because we have to remember what induces a deficit and what creates fat loss. Calorie restriction. So there's a restrictive aspect. It doesn't matter if it's, you have to restrict calories. You, you know, if you go on a ketogenic diet, you have to restrict carbohydrates. There is a aspect of restriction in every aspect of dieting. It is the way that you approach it, which is why having a flexible restraint mindset, realizing, Hey, listen, there's going to be an aspect of restraint, but I need to have an open mindset to this where I don't look at it as a dichotomous relationship as good and bad foods on the diet, off the diet, black and white terms around nutrition and my approach. It's really your mindset and realizing, Hey, this is a goal. And this is going to be a time period, eight, 10, 12 weeks that I'm going to adhere to this specific deficit or this specific calorie budget. And that's going to be what 
is nece- uh, necessary to get to my goal. But after that, I can eat more. And it's not going to be, you're not in a deficit for life. But what a lot of people do is they don't adhere and they don't stay consistent. So they have to diet for months and months or they diet their entire lives away because they're on the diet, off the diet. So they always feel like they're in this restrictive mindset. Their life is inhibited. But if they just stayed consistent for a shorter period of time, I'm not saying a rapid fat loss phase, but a you know effective fat loss phase, they would get the fat off. They would go into a strategically planned reverse diet. They would increase their energy expenditure, increase their maintenance calories, and then be able to live life at maintenance. Like I'm trying to teach clients how to live. And that's why a lot of times I speak on fat loss a lot, but if you really look up a lot of the content I've done, it's been on reverse diet. It's been on, you know, on increasing energy flux. It's been on getting people into a state of abundance where they can eat more, but they move more and they compensate for having, you know, being able to eat more, but being able to live a less restrictive lifestyle. So I couldn't agree more, man. Cool. I think we crushed that one. Let's get into the next, which is, I'm going to kick over to you. Thoughts on cheat meals, cheat days, and 10K challenges. And I'm oh, assuming God. they're meaning 10,000 calorie challenges. Yes, sir. So uh, this is going to be a little bit of a rant, guys. So so get prepared because this is a question I commonly get. And it's just one I'm not a huge fan of. And you know, cheat meals and cheat days specifically have been popularized by pretty much everyone within fitness. Like your biggest fitness influencers, they have, you know, their shredded six packs with their burgers in front of them. But it's something that so many abuse and it severely impacts not only their results, but their relationship with food. And we have to realize that what you see advertised on social media isn't what's real life. And I know many of these influencers, I know guys with 100, 200, 300,000 followers. I've been at events with them. I've worked for the supplement companies that sponsor them. And this is generally just a facade. And so, you know, there are people that see that and then they follow in those patterns. And there are so many individuals that I've known over the years who have literally taken cheat days to the extreme where their their actions are extreme in all aspects. So they'll wake up early to get started on you know the cheat day um, so they could fit in as much as they, they could possibly get in within that 24-hour period. And it's completely derailed their fat loss progress as a result. And the topic of cheat meals in general is one that I speak about with clients constantly as I don't even believe in using that term, cheat meal. And I always try to explain to clients that there's literally no positive connotation with the word cheat. So I know it sounds like semantics, but I think it's really important because we're have meaning. And and this is really big within my coaching. The way I speak to my clients, the way that I email them, the way that I converse with them over Zoom, it's really, I, I do everything that I do with intention. And that's often why when I get on a podcast, I am very extensive with my answers or I'm very nuanced in the things that I say, because I do believe that words have meaning. And so let's just think about how we'd apply the word cheat in any other application or context or area of our life. You know, people cheat on their spouses, a negative thing. Uh, They cheat on their tests in school, Um, you know, but in no area of our life is cheating seen as a good thing, which is why I've never understood why certain individuals within this space, especially something that's called the health and fitness industry, promote the concept of using cheats on their diet. And then also the concept of a cheat meal or cheat day almost makes it sound like it's a complete deviation from the diet where you need to eat the opposite of the foods you've been eating. And I've seen that this often sets up people to look at, like have this black and white dichotomous viewpoint on food where they see foods more so as either good or bad, diet or non-diet foods or dirtier cheat foods. And I really, I, I really try to work on the relationship aspect or the, you know, how my clients view foods. Cause I think that's a very uh, large mental component of being able to be successful long-term, especially in your habits and your behaviors around 
food and nutrition in general. So I feel like, you know, it's, first of all, I'm not a fan of the word cheat meal. I don't use, utilize that with clients. I don't let them utilize that or use that word with me in conversations. You know, that's something I always, um, you know, that's a conversation I always bring up or I always tackle off the bat. And really like this whole concept, I understand that it's popular, but I also feel like it encourages people to overeat you know, certain foods, especially like processed and hyper palatable foods to the point that a lot of times you'll realize, or you'll hear back from these people that they like get sick because they see it as like the only time that they can eat these foods. So it's almost like a race or a contest to see how much pizza or cookies or cake or whatever, you know, your fixes that they could stuff down their gullet in a sitting or in a day. And when it comes down to the 10,000 calorie challenges, honestly, I just think that people do those for likes and the individuals who have good physiques and that you see engaging in these things, they're just doing this for views. And I actually know people personally that have large Instagram accounts that have done this, that have literally said, A, it was a mistake for them doing it. They wish they had never done it from like a physical perspective because they felt sick and they also realized that it set a bad impression but there are a lot of people they want to promote these strategies they want to say oh it's you know it'll boost your metabolism if you come under my coaching i'll let you eat whatever you want and that's not the case if you were to sign up with these people i've gotten clients from them and that's really not the case it's a facade that they present so the issues i have with strategies like these cheat meals or the cheat days or the ten thousand calorie challenges besides the negative connotation that comes with them is the concept of cheating you know you know, the whole concept of utilizing cheats within your diet and, you know, kind of ignoring the negative ramifications is the fact that you're not acknowledging the limitation they place on your ability to make progress, especially during a fat loss phase. Because in just one meal, let alone in a day, you can literally erase the entire deficit that you've worked so hard to create during the course of the week. And thus, you're going to undo all the fat loss progress you're trying to achieve. So you're literally going to be spinning your wheels. And I believe this is why so many people, especially within the general population, don't see results as many of these individuals, they diet hard enough during the week to induce a deficit. So they should be getting lean. But due to the fact that they're overcompensating with either one meal at the end of the week, which often turns into a full day because we see, you know, even in like um, food psychology research that when you feed a, you know, when you feed a craving, it actually exacerbates that craving. And often with hyperplatable foods, we even see in research by Kevin Hall that you're more likely to overeat these foods because they're less satiating and they drive what's called passive overconsumption. So we'll overeat calories from those, those hyperplatable foods. And so these individuals, they'll do that weekly cheat meal or that weekly cheat that or weekly cheat day and they don't see any noticeable fat loss results and many don't realize that this is what's holding them back until they're weeks or months into their diet and they're on this you know diet during the week cheat meal on the weekend and then they're not as lean as they desire and then they have to extend this fat loss phase and you know i really when i when i speak to this about clients i always tell them listen what you need to realize is if you're trying to lose fat at, say, like a standard rate of one pound per week, you need to induce a 3,500 calorie deficit over the course of that week. We know that. And so say you take this approach where you put yourself in a 500 calorie deficit and we run that six days per week. So you've created a 3,000 calorie deficit. But on Sunday, you go out and have this exorbitant cheat meal. You can easily eat back right into that deficit. So you can either negate a good portion of it or often someone will take in a few thousand calories right within the context of that meal. So you've literally just undone the entire deficit that you worked six days to achieve. So really when it comes down to it, if you truly want to get lean and see results you desire, you need to be objectively considering the dietary approach you take and decisions around food you make throughout the course of the week. And so for myself, you know, cause I get in these situations like 
we all love, you know, tasty foods. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you that I don't like, you know, that I don't have desires for certain foods, but I always do like a pro con type manner where I try to be objective with myself. And I really think, is this meal worth it or not? Is eating this item more important than my current physique goals and the fat loss goals that I have at hand? And so personally, I would rather have a client eat at a more moderate deficit throughout the course of the week instead of these extreme deficits that a lot of these cheat meal proponents you know, prescribe. Because I do know guys that do a protein sparing modified fast Monday through Saturday and then do an exorbitant cheat meal on Sunday. That's and so they're under, yeah, they're under eating during the course of the week. There's a diet called the cycle diet that used to do. I did it. You know, so I've been, I've been, uh, you know, uh, coached through it by a, a well-known coach and it really is terrible first and foremost, because you're eating protein and veg Monday through Saturday, and then you're overeating on the weekend until you get sick. And I, I've been there and I understand the ramifications it has from a physical and body composition perspective, but also from a mental perspective where you almost feel out of control on Sunday. And then it's like you, the diet, you makes it, it makes a diet. There's such a contrast between your cheat day and then your diet day that it makes it seem like the diet day is so much more miserable than it is. And all you look forward to is that Sunday. All you look forward to is that cheat day. And it's just such a mental contrast. It's so unhealthy for your relationship with food. So personally, like when I diet my own clients, I would rather have them at a more moderate deficit where they're well-fueled throughout the course of the week. And then if needed, we'll put in a strategically placed refeed where I'll bring their calories back up to maintenance intake when necessary to give them that mental reprieve and a psychological break and to, you know, give them some food flexibility. And the other thing we have to realize is if you really want to eat something tasty, just have it fit your macros. So you don't overdo it and cause like this binge restrict type approach to dieting. Like there's nothing to be said, like you can't eat certain foods, but just fit them in so that you're more accountable to both yourself and your goals. Because if you go with this cheat meal approach, Often we've never, I, I've never heard someone tell someone or, or I've never encountered someone that does a cheat day where they actually consciously track their calories. Right. And I mean, it's a, it's a free for all. And so that's where it really becomes dangerous because we already just went over a lot of the research on calorie underreporting and underestimation, portion control, all those type of things. So imagine when you go to a restaurant and you eat at a buffet or something, like you have no idea what's in that food. You have no idea how much you're over-consuming. You might be taking in you know, two entrees that say it's a thousand calories each, but they're off by a hundred percent. So you just took in 4,000 calories. You're in a surplus for the week. And so really, if you want to have something, by all means, you know, keep it outside your house, go out specifically buy the item in the portion that you want, you know, measure it out on a scale and just fit it within your macros so that you're still on point, but you're able to enjoy yourself and you have some food flexibility. You have some, you know, um, ability to fit something in that you, you desire and that you want, but you still need to derail all the hard work that you put in throughout the course of the week, just in one day or for one meal that you're ultimately going to regret. I couldn't agree more, man. And you sum that up very well. I don't have a lot to add, but it's really as in with our last topic where it's very much, again, you can make the diet like what could be a four month diet. You could easily make that last 12 to 16 months simply by taking a cheat meal every week, right? Because it's such a good way to undo so much of your progress. And it's like, is the enjoyment that you take from that single meal every week worth another eight to 12 months of dieting, first of all? But again, like imagine if you just buckle down, didn't do that, got the diet done in four months, and then again, you're at maintenance. You feel great in your physique and you can have so much more food flexibility. You can eat so much more food in this place. Like it's just such a better place to be. But again, it's kind of just being okay with delayed gratification. Um, I think even similar to this, like, uh, just on the topic of common fat loss mistakes, I think even like people don't necessarily look at this as like cheat days, but if it's like Monday through Friday, you're very dialed in, your food intake is very consistently full whole foods. And then if it's like, okay, breakfast, I'm going out to 
whatever, I'm going out to brunch and then I'm going to grab lunch at Chipotle and then I'm having like another dinner out and we're kind of like loosely trying to make this fit our macros, but we're kind of like bullshitting ourselves here. We're like, oh yeah, okay, that doesn't fit. So I'm going to actually, yeah, actually that was like three-fourths of a cup of rice, not a cup and a half like I originally tracked it as. Like even things like that, that I think people look at as uh, like, uh, it was still pretty close. Even the reality is then like, and again, this isn't necessarily what people want to hear. I'm not saying like, there's no room to eat out at restaurants ever when you're in a fat loss phase, right? We can make that work, but you do, like, as you said, like that can easily have hundred percent more calories than what's going to be on the restaurant menu. So I think like that itself, not intentionally being like a cheat meal or a cheat day, but like having like your Saturday, like maybe your Saturday is again, like breakfast at Starbucks, lunch at Chipotle, and then dinner somewhere out. And then you go out for brunch on Sunday. And it's like, ah, I kind of made it hit my macros. That in itself I've seen often is enough to stall progress. So something to be aware of. Here's the thing with that, and I'm really glad you hit on that because often when I speak, because I work with a lot of busy, you know, uh, business professionals that travel. So just, you know, just so for some background information, when I was competing, um, and I was a full time executive within the sports nutrition industry, I averaged for five straight years, I was on the road between sixty five to seventy five thousand miles a year, and many of the, those years, I contest prep. So I, I either cooked my food in advance, meal prepped, and froze weeks worth of food around with me. I cooked on a hot plate in my hotel room. I got an Airbnb or I would eat on the road. But often when I did eat on the road, and this is something that I share with a lot of my busy, you know, traveling professionals is we have to overestimate the calories. And it's not, you know, I tell them to overestimate because I want them to track it as an overestimation, but we're really not overestimating because the restaurant is going to be off. So what I really tell them to do is always assume that it's going to be 20% off in fat because fat is going to be the number one uh, macronutrient that is going to be over, um, overused within the context of a food label. And so say we go to Chipotle and it says that it has 10 grams of fat in the burrito. However, you have to realize that the chef in the back does not care about measuring out the butter or the oil or anything to the exact macronutrient prescription that it says on the label. That is an estimation and they're allowed to be off by 20%. They're probably off by even more than 20%, but let's just play it safe. Let's put it in as 20 more percent so that you're you're not going to fool yourself. And sometimes I do get into these conversations with clients where they're like, well, I wasn't sure. I'd rather you overestimate it because you're generally never going to under, you're never going to overestimate it to the point where it puts you in that much of a deficit. You know, no one's going to be able to do that, especially with restaurant meals. So I'd rather we play it safe. Let's overestimate the amount of calories. If a burrito says it has 500 calories, let's bring that to 600. Let's, you know, just, you know, give us some buffer room. And if it was 575, all right, we saved 25 calories, but it's never like you're going to put it down as six, you know, 600 calories. And it was 400 calories. Like it was under the, what the menu said. And so that's just, we have to be accountable. And, you know, as, as blunt as it sounds like calories count, even on the weekends, calories count, even if you think they're not in there, like you could think in your mind, like we have to be accountable, especially to our goals and to our, excuse me, our calorie budgets and our targets, because that is what's going to make change within our body composition. So if you just kind of turn a blind eye and I see this with blood work as well, a lot of times I'll ask clients for blood work. We'll be going over analyses. A lot of times people want to put their heads in the sand. They do the same thing with calorie counting. Like if I don't really think about it, it didn't happen, but your body still registered those calories that you took in. So just be accountable, be aware of it so that if you see a fluctuation that next week, you know, all right, I must've misestimated that. I must've underreported that Chipotle meal. If I decide to have that every single week on a Saturday, 
as my weekend, you know, flex meal, I just have to make sure that I increase the calorie count that I take from it to be more accurate so that I don't see these fluctuations as much so that if I thought that that meal had 50 grams of carbohydrates, you know, but my weight is kind of showing me a trend that I'm probably in a 200, 300 calorie surplus. Maybe I should account that as hundred, hundred grams of carbohydrates and take away from some of my other meals so that I'm more accountable to both myself as well as to my goals. And so that I don't get hit with these weight fluctuations or this lack of progress or a slowing in progress that then I'm frustrated by when you could have just been more aware and been, you know, acknowledged it and taken accountability for it. Absolutely, man. And again, as a listener, keep in mind, Brandon and I don't make the rules of this. We also wish like this can be hard. This hundred percent here. We wish it was just whatever you want. And because you're in our coaching service now, you're going to be able to get shredded. But this, you know, we would love that for our clients, but I would love that for myself. I'm going to be objective. You know what I mean? Like I'm on very low calories right now because I am at the very uh, ends of a fat loss phase and very low in body fat. And I would love to be able to eat out and do all these things, but I understand that they don't align with my goals. And I also have the mindset that I am willing to sacrifice in the present moment for what my long-term goal was and realizing that food is always going to be here. But right now I have opportunities. I have photo shoots lined up. I have certain opportunities that have presented themselves. And I'm also someone that considers myself both accountable to my own goals, but also to my clients. So I'm going to lead from the front and nothing is going to stop me from doing that. I understand that we all have different goals, different mindsets and different experiences, but this is really where, you know, I try to work on the skill of dieting with my clients. So they realize, you know, some of the, um, necessities within a fat loss phase, but they also gain a better skill at dieting. So they understand to embrace and accept certain things because the leaner you get, generally the harder the diet's going to get. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be in a more aggressive deficit. What that means is you're leaner. You have more dietary fatigue. Generally, when you are leaner, it means that you've been dieting for longer. So the diet is going to mentally feel more difficult. It's going, you're going to have accumulated fatigue. And so that's really where we have to dig down and realize to get leaner because I have a low amount of body fat, I'm going to have to push a little bit harder. However, I'm so much closer to my goal than I was 12 weeks ago. And so I just have a little bit more digging to go. But if I keep on doing it by having these restaurant meals or being too flexible, or not tracking things accurately. I'm only taking that goal and not only not staying in alignment with it, but I'm also pushing it further. So now I have even more weeks of dieting. So I'd rather get it, get there sooner by staying, you know, on plan and on track than prolonging that goal longer and longer and longer and potentially not getting there at all. Absolutely, man. Cool. All right. Last question here, which very well ties into the previous one. Why use free meals instead of cheat meals? Now, again, I think to a large degree, we already answered this, but really I like a free meal because it's easier to frame as part of the plan, right? As opposed to, again, like a cheat meal is typically this uninhibited day normally with a free meal. And again, when we'll implement with this with a client varies. I, I personally, it's very, very rare that I would implement a free meal like in a fat loss phase. But when we do implement free meals, Still, we're able to, okay, so like going into the meal out, let's really try to hit like these macro targets to make sure we've hit most of your protein. I want carbs about here, fats about here. So again, there's still some structure. And again, like it's a single meal. We're trying to keep this within the constraints of the meal. We can give a good idea like, hey, maybe we're going to have a glass of wine or two, have an appetizer, and then maybe like split a dessert or something like that. And then cool. That's, that's it. That was part of the plan. It wasn't like a dramatic deviation from the plan or anything you need to feel bad about. And then we get back to it. So I, I personally just like the change in terminology because again, it's easier to frame as part of the plan to the client. 
And the client can go out and again, especially like in a building phase, this is something I like to implement because you can go out, you can enjoy a little bit more dietary flexibility. Um, and again, we kind of work that within the rate of gain we want to see or whatever it may be. But I really like, I just, again, it can just seem like this is just slight change in terminology, but I think the mindset people approach it with is so much different and so much healthier when we frame it like that versus a cheat meal. No, absolutely. So I will say in the context of dieting, these are used few and far between with my clientele. If a client has a special occasion, an anniversary, a birthday, I will make sure that we're able to you you know, fit in a free meal. First of all, I'm explaining the context. So I go into great detail about what a free meal means with them so that we understand we're both on the same page, especially in the context of dieting. Because I not only don't want to undo their progress, however, I also don't want to develop a negative relationship with food where they're looking for this like weekly dopamine hit. So this isn't something that's done frequently, but it is something that I utilize within my maintenance plans and my building phase plans. And I call it a free meal so that the terminology doesn't reinforce this black and white mindset around nutrition. So like I said, I'm very intentional with the words that I utilize. And so generally, this is going to be more something that I use in a building phase where someone is in a surplus, we have more calories to play with. But I make sure that this free meal is done within control. So there's some parameters, I give them a lot of flexibility, but there's parameters in which are outlined. So I have a full outline in how I do this. And I won't bore the audience with that. But really, I'll get the intention behind it so that those out there understand what we mean when we differentiate between this, like, like you said, uninhibited, you know, cheat meal that's unplanned, you know, it's, it's just whatever. And it's, it's going all out and it's this hedonic deviation as compared to a free meal where the goal with a free meal is for my client to go out to eat and have a meal out where it's less about the meal itself and the deviation off the diet. And it's more about spending time with friends, family, and loved ones. And what I really try to get across to them is food is more than just the calories and macros they provide. Food is about culture. Food is about community. But if you're so focused on the fruit in front of you, you're missing out on the actual ability to connect with others. You're doing your, you know, um, like the others around you and you're doing yourself a disservice and your relationship, not only with those around you, but also with your relationship with food. And so really what I try to get across to them is a, I want it done with other people. So I, I always require, it needs to be with your spouse. It needs to be with your friends and family. It needs to be with your loved ones. I don't want this situation where you have this, like, believe me, I, I come from the competitive industry where I've had people do cheat meals and literally do them in their closets and not by my instruction, but they've sent me an email the next day. Like, Hey, I ate a box of donuts in my closet. Like those are scary scenarios and those are really bad issues with their food. And that's why I've learned from these experiences with clients where I've really been very intentional with my instructions and how I want them to set it up. I want them to generally do it out of the house. I don't want them buying product, you know, hyperplatable foods where they're going to get it in bulk and have it around. We have to realize that our food environment influences a lot of our food decisions and behaviors. So I want it done in a restaurant because there's multiple reasons for that, but a, if it's not within your immediate environment, it's not in close proximity, you're less likely to eat it. And we see that in like chocolate research studies where they'll put like a, a plate of chocolates in front of someone in their office, whereas across the room, and they eat substantially more, it's generally double or more when it's right in front or right on top of their desk than when it's across the office. Because generally, if it's in sight, you know, we're going to be more likely to have access and to want it and to desire it. But if it's out of sight, out of mind, it's not going to be, we're not going to be as susceptible to over consuming it or even being drawn to it in, in uh, general. So I like them to do it outside in a restaurant quality meal. I want 
protein first. You know, I want some vegetables. I want eat an entree first. It's not like let's load up on appetizers and all these things. I want you to get a good protein serving so that we leverage that that satiety effect from protein and then have a dessert or have a drink or have something, but enjoy it. Spend time. And then I also give instructions around how I want them to go about it from like both a nutrient density perspective, because, you know, I do want them to utilize protein. I want maybe a salad to preload. I want them to drink water beforehand to fill up their stomach. But also a lot of times with cheat meals, you know, a lot of these are calorie dense, but they're not nutrient dense. So you're getting a ton of calories with little beneficial micronutrients. And often what I see with people and the biggest difference between like my free meal approach and a cheat meal approach is that a lot of times the junk that people are having on their, their cheat meals are going to lead to increases in blood glucose. So we're going to have decreases in insulin sensitivity. They're going to be loaded with fats and with, you know, um, you know, not the most high quality nutrients and ingredients. So a lot of times it leads to digestive issues, uh, discomfort, you know, stomach discomfort. It's going to impact training after. Um, it's going to displace some of the other nutrients uh, dense food sources that we want in the diet. So when I have clients do free meals, I want them to make it more about the experience and less about excessive food consumption in a single uh, single uh, sitting. So I want nutrient-dense foods. I want them to enjoy themselves, but really make it about the experience, not just about the food. Um, and so I want them to enjoy the meal with those that mean most to them. I want them to slow down and enjoy the experience. And then also I always instruct them to slow their rate of eating because that's a huge thing that we see with hyperplatable foods because they're able to be eaten. Think about like the concept of fast food. It's not just because it's fast delivered, but it's also eaten fast. And we actually see on research that your eating rate influences how many calories you eat. So with processed foods, it's more chewing. It takes a longer amount of time. Think about a salad compared to like a plate of chips or a, a sweet potato and the same amount of calories from chips. You're going to you're going to be able to consume those same amount 200 calories from potato chips much quicker and easier than you are a potato or, or a sweet potato. However, that's also going to lead you that if we're eating for volume, which really is what we eat for, you're going to be more likely to eat hundreds and hundreds of more calories from potato chips than you are from sweet potato. You know, so I want them to take their time and be objective about how they feel both during the meal and after the meal and I also like to get their feedback about how they felt in comparison to their normal meals. So if they notice that it throws off their digestion or their sleep or their training performance the next day, I want them to, you know, not just like throw it under the rug or swipe it under the rug. I want them to realize, all right, the next time I have this free meal, I need to take better options because there's a cost and benefit for every decision we make, especially within the context of, of nutrition. And so I want them to just be a little bit more of a critical thinker. And you know, that's something that I really encourage all my clients to do. So it's not, I'm not saying here, you have to eat these things, but I want a protein serving. I want some vegetables. I want them to start off the meal. Make sure you're well hydrated. Don't go into the meal starving. So I don't want you over restricting yourself for the course of the day. I want you to place it post-workout, you know, or within the post-workout window. So you have increased nutrient partitioning. And I also want you to really make it about the food and or about the people and the experience rather than just about the food. And I don't want it done in a singular manner at your house where you're stocking up on stuff at Costco and then you have access to this and you're eating all night. Absolutely, dude. One other thing I normally like to add to that is just considering like the point of diminishing returns when it comes to food. And oftentimes I'll instruct clients like, hey, kind of think about this beforehand. How much do you need to eat to really enjoy that meal to feel like you had a great time versus how much could you eat? And it would just make you feel terrible, right? Because with meals like that, it's so easy to eat to the point where we're absolutely stuffed. But if we can just like consider like, oh man, I'm enjoying this. Okay. Now I'm getting pretty full. Let's just try to like, hey, let's stop there where it's like, okay, that was very enjoyable. 
versus again, where like past that point of diminishing returns, now it's just making you feel actively worse and you're not taking like any additional value from this. Um, cool, man. I think we crushed that one. Great conversation as far as fat loss mistakes. Great to be on the mic with you again, dude. Before I let you go, um, anything else new you have going on that you want to plug? No, man, just another week in the books. Uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend and to another week of uh, productivity. It is fall, so the weather is already changing over here. I will tell you that it looks like fall out here. I already have uh, leaves everywhere in Jersey. It was 60 degrees this morning, so it's getting quite cold. And so I'm just looking forward to the season ahead, but I'm I'm glad you're back from vacation. I'm glad to be linking back up, and let's get our weekly podcast going, my man. Absolutely, dude. We'll keep it rolling. So for the listeners, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. I will link up where to hit up Brandon per usual in the show notes, and we will catch you you guys next time.